Good afternoon. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. Boy, oh boy, we've got a big, huge, packed show for you. As you know, we just had the Super Bowl over this last weekend. And although I didn't watch it, I've got two people here with me that can probably be more of authority figures than I can. Us and a hundred million other people, Jeff. And not so much on the game as the commercials. So the voices you just heard there are Cole Wissinger and Mickey Randall, and I'm Jeff Simpson, and this is Screen Cleaning, and each and every week we bring you the very best in entertainment, and although there's, there's, you know, maybe not everything about the Super Bowl is great, I'm certainly a big fan of the food and uh, the movie trailers, and so I know we want to talk about all the movie trailers that came out, and maybe even the halftime show. But if There's you a lot to... of entertainment news to go on in right. addition to sports. It was probably you know a few days before the actual game that I found out which two teams were playing. <laughs> I don't know if that's sad, but again, I think I'm still in the majority. It's okay. <laughs> I, everyone's not a sports fan. Everyone's not a movie fan either. Okay, so what were your favorite trailers that premiered during the Super Bowl? I loved Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. It's a Guillermo del Toro film. Or produced by Guillermo del Toro. From the mind of Guillermo del Toro. I don't don't know if that's a mind I want to explore. (laughs) Right. It's got some weird things going on up there. But I used to read the books when I was a kid in elementary school. Mm Mm-hmm. And the movie looks fairly true, at least to the illustrations. And that's the thing that those books had going for him. So the, from the mind of Guillermo del Toro, if there's one thing that he's really known for and the best in the business at doing, it's creating these weird creatures and, right. and bringing visuals to life on the screen. And those books, more than the writing necessarily of these just scary short stories, those illustrations will stick in your head. Mm-hmm. It's true. You know, the one one of the few that I did see was it was like thirty. You no, know, it was a minute long, with Jordan Peele walking down a football field. Or actually, they present it like you're coming back to the game, and then there's this glitch, and it's they're like interrupting. It's off the air. They're, yeah, they're interrupting the game, and all the fans are gone from the stadium. Which, and you by see... the way, Chevy Trucks did a commercial that faked the stream going out a couple years ago as well. So oh, not so as original not as, as you original. think. Well, that's fitting because this is probably like the sixth iteration of the Twilight Zone that yes. we're going to see. But it's going to be on CBS All Access. So once all of the episodes show up on the streaming service, I will do what the majority of the people do. And I'll just sign up for the free trial, binge watch, and cancel. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's CBS Films that is doing the producing for Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. There were four different 10-second promos for that that aired during the Super Bowl. Uh, and CBS can just do that because CBS and CBS is all connected. I wonder how much those 10-second spots cost. Well, when they're promoting their own thing, it's pretty cheap. But if it's just an advertisement, it's $5 million for a 30-second ad. Whew. So you can do math if you want. Wow. To see what it would be for mm. 10. Okay, so were there any others that you guys are looking forward to? Avengers, the first trailer of the night in between the Mm. coin flip and the opening kickoff. That's the most coveted spot when you're talking about money going towards promotion. Does it cost more money? It costs a little more money to get that one. But Avengers got a new trailer. And we didn't see a ton more, but... It's Avengers. Now, I know you're excited about this movie because you just got some interesting news uh, that deals with the middle of this movie. They want the whole movie. Right now, the Russos have a cut that is three hours long. And if you're going to have a three-hour movie, 
then you got to give the folks a, a moment in the middle to go take care of business, maybe get some snacks as well. And there are people pushing for there to be an intermission in the middle of this three-hour Avengers Endgame. It seems like theater owners aren't going to love that because it will limit the number of showings that they can put. I think theater owners are going to love it and that maybe the maybe studio cons- won't because concessions. I guess the concessions is where – yeah, that's where all the money mm-hmm. is. Yep. Hmm. And so the studio I think will shy away from it because maybe they can't get as many showings. But You know what theater, though? The maintenance crew is going to hate it. Uh, well, yeah. They're – was more entertainment, though, going on in the Super Bowl. Maroon 5 performed a halftime show. SpongeBob, yes. a TV icon, made a little appearance at the beginning really? of it. Really? Mm-hmm. He was supposed hmm. to be in it a little bit more. They kind of advertised that a great SpongeBob moment from the television show Sweet Victory, which happens in an episode called Band Geeks, and it's it's a really cool song in SpongeBob. They said they were going to have that in the halftime show. It ended up not really happening, but SpongeBob was there. I mean, that's right. more I than mean, we could more expect. Than exactly. And how did Maroon 5 do? I thought it was okay. Yeah, it's a little boring. performance, I don't know. Yeah. Boring. Oh, no don't... Lady Gaga jumping from the right. top of a I think even stadium. Justin Timberlake last year was a lot more exciting. You know, the Super Bowl has passed us, but if you're watching your calendar and uh, if you're picking up on the hints from your wife or significant other, then you know that Valentine's Day is on the horizon. Oh, yeah. And in fact, our next week's show will deal with... Valentine's Day in a very interesting way. We've toyed with the idea of issuing challenges to each other on screen cleaning. You know, watch this movie that you really don't want to watch or count the number of times so-and-so says such-and-such in a movie. But uh, these challenges are going to be Valentine's Day related. And we're each tackling a different thing. So we're issuing different challenges to the different three members of our screen cleaning team. A different medium, if you will. So, Cole, we've got a doozy of a one for you. Bring it on. So Cole has mentioned the fact that he has not seen very many rom-coms, and I think he's a little proud of that fact. It comes up in our movie discussions when Jeff wants to talk about certain genres of films where the man and the woman get together in the end in big sweeping gestures, and I can't relate. So we are going to challenge you, Cole, to watch three romantic comedies of our choosing, Mickey. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we'll see what you think of those. Mickey, could you tell us which movies Cole will be watching and why he'll be watching those three movies? Yes. So for you, we have picked Runaway Bride. Richard Gere and Julia Roberts teaming up once again for a PG romantic comedy. She's all that. This is like, this was the high school movie when I was in high school. It was Freddie Prinze Jr. and Rachel Lee Cook. The late Paul Walker was in it as well. No. But the third one I have actually never seen, but there's a tie-in to the movie you're going to be watching and I think a challenge you guys are issuing to me. This one's called The Bachelor. Okay, so I've heard of The Bachelor. Chris uh, Chris O'Donnell and I want to say Renee Zellweger. But there's a movie. But I've never seen it. Interesting. But the thing that these three films have in common is that they all came out in the same year. The year that you have always said is your favorite year for movies, oh. 1999. So we wanted to soften the blow a little bit and give you three romantic comedies from your favorite year in film. Thanks, guys. 
Okay. So, so bring the, it on. What's so mine? So if I'm watching The Bachelor, the movie, I think it's only fitting that Jeff goes to the television and watches a little bit of The Bachelor, the TV show. Ugh, that's brutal. Have fun doing that. That is brutal, Cole. This is what love is all about, Jeff. Really? <laughs> Contrived <laughs> moments <hope> not. of <laughs> one thought, guy dating 30 women at the I, same time. I thought true love was all about monogamy and like being true to the one you love. Nope, it's whoever gets the rose during <laughs> okay. the cocktail party. Okay. Is this something I should be watching with my wife or should I be watching it in secret? I don't know which is worse, to be <laughs> what honest. If she which was more depressing? Yeah, like, she watched <laughs> On you watching The Bachelor? I think watching it by myself is certainly more depressing, but I don't know if I could drag my wife into this. This season of The Bachelor is very exciting, and you're going to get to enjoy it. Okay. (laughs) Well, we can't have all the fun, which is why we've got a challenge for Mickey Randall as well. We've talked about TV. We've talked about movies. But what about radio? Is there something, some sort of a Valentine's Day tie-in to radio? There's certainly silly love songs on the radio all the time during this week, but... There's one specific host that all year long is all about love, and that is Delilah. Oh, so you're going to be listening to Delilah. Not only does she have songs on her program that are all about love, but she, as I understand, doesn't she give out love advice? She gives advice to the people. People call in and say, oh, my husband's not doing this, and how do I fix it? And Delilah tells her. Can I have Mickey's mm. challenge? I think I'd much rather listen to Delilah too than watch late. The I'm Bachelor. not watching The Bachelor. Ooh. I've already Guys. seen okay. it way too many times. So it seems like we're all equally uninterested in our challenges. That's what so makes it good. That's what makes it good, I guess. But this is good. It helps us to branch out. And on screen cleaning, we, we try very hard to help you become acquainted with things that you might not otherwise give a chance to. Or give the time of day to. And so that's what we're going to do next week. It's something to look forward to. But today on the program, we're actually going to be speaking animation. Cole and I have our favorite picks of different mediums of animation. But we're also going to be speaking with the co-founder of the BYU Animation Department. That's coming up next on Screen Cleaning. action isn't dictated by what goes on inside of you. You have to be able to think the way the character thinks. If you can't tell what's happening by the way the character moves, you're not animated. That was legendary animator Chuck Jones. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. You know, it seems the average moviegoer may be in the dark about all the things that go into making the animated movies they love. So here to help illuminate things for us is Kelly Loosely, the co-founder of the animation program here at BYU. Professor Loosely got his first job in animation at 15 and has since worked for DreamWorks and Buena Vista Motion Pictures at Disney. Kelly, welcome to Screen Cleaning. Thanks for having me. So when did it all begin for you? When did you first discover that you had a love for animation and you wanted to make a career out of it? Uh, so I'm a child of the 70s. And back then, right, this is pre-DVD, pre-VHS. Right, yeah. Uh, animated films, Disney films, uh, were only released every seven years. So Bambi came out when I was probably about four years old. Yeah. And uh, nobody would go see a Disney movie without taking a kid. So I got to see Bambi over <laughs> and over and over again. And my dad explained to me how it worked, and and I was hooked. Wow. So 
Now, what can you tell us about the process that goes into making an animated feature? We've seen more and more, or at least with the last couple of Pixar movies, the animators have introduced the movie, set it up, and said, just so you know, this was a really lengthy process. It took X number of years, and we had this many animators in it. But I, I still think people don't fully appreciate all that goes into it. Yeah, so I think a lot of people understand that the filmmaking process, you write a script, you get a budget, you go out and you shoot the film, and then you edit it together. Well, animations start sort of in a reverse way. We start, uh, sometimes we have a script, sometimes we don't. We storyboard it, yeah. which is essentially comic strips, right? Um, but because we start that at the front end, we actually start post-production on the front end. Animation mm. is so tedious and so expensive that we cut together those storyboards into what's called an animatic to see if the movie is going to work in advance of animating because if it doesn't work, there's no reason throwing all the time and labor into the animation process. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about some of the things that that you've seen evolve in animation over the years as you've been in the the industry. Uh, Well, so when I was in the industry in L.A., I was right there during the time where we transitioned from 2D to 3D. So I worked at DreamWorks at the very beginning of DreamWorks. We were working on Prince of Egypt and... uh, and uh, Shrek and uh, Spirit, and we were still sort of, most films were still hand-drawn, and we were transitioning into 3D, and it's that introduction of 3D that's really sort of changed things uh, to a level where you rarely see an American-made hand-drawn feature these days. So what what are some of the favorite projects that you've worked on, whether it was in L.A. or whether it was here in Utah? Um, I've made a film with some students that actually BYU uh, Broadcasting helped us uh, fund and, and sort of develop, which was a film we made at uh, BYU called Metro. And mm. it was a smaller group. We make, you know, we're sort of known for making these large group projects, but this was a smaller group film. Um, and there was something about the students and the, the fact that it was smaller. And so it was more hands on, more time spent with students. Um, and that film was really successful. That, and that was a really, uh, and that was a hand drawn film too, which is sort of my my love. So going back to that was fun. And uh, so that's one that really sort of stands out to me. What an, what a unique opportunity for these for these students to learn from somebody with with your skill set, and then also I mentioned before we started talking that I did a piece on the animation department ten eleven years ago, and that was during a time when BYU was one of two universities that were getting mentoring from Pixar Studios. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge deal, and that that says a lot about the animation department here at Brigham Young University. Absolutely. We've been very fortunate. Yeah. So, okay, you've given us a snapshot of where we've been with animation. Mm -hmm. Where do you see things going in the future with animation? Well, we are really uh, entering this interesting time where traditional television is sort of going to the wayside, right? And video on demand is is this big thing. And uh, Disney right now is about to start its online streaming service. And subsequently, they're going to pull all their content off of other uh, services, right? Like Netflix. So Netflix has, has really ramped up and is going into production. And because of this, there's a lot of resources and money being thrown at productions and not just in traditional ways. Netflix is interested in funding lots of different types of animation. So not only are we going to get a broader set of um, storytellers, types of stories, but the mediums that are being used. There's a whole handful of stop motion films that have just been greenlit or are in production that that I think it's going to be really interesting to see evolve. 
Yeah, yeah. And I want to talk some about some of those forms of, of animation here in just a second. But what is it that you hope students here and just animation students in general will take away from either this animation program or the animation studies elsewhere? Um, specific to BYU, we really would like to try to empower our students to tell the types of stories that we would like to see. Right. Um, and I think the world is actually doing it. A lot of times I think uh, people want to sort of point fingers and say that the entertainment industry is trying to corrupt us. But I tend to find that the animation industry is is really supportive and really does sell a lot of our traditional values and tries to speak in, in part maybe because it's so expensive to make. Sure. They want to make sure that they get a broader audience. But they do speak to our larger values and talk to families and want to get the whole family at the – uh, at the theater to watch their content or on video on demand. Uh, for me, I just want them to n- sort of know that their own experiences and their own voice is valid. And I would love to empower new and interesting voices and just see a much broader um, collection of storytellers. I'm excited about this new burgeoning group of women storytellers. So yeah. for so long, it's been a men, you know, a male dominated mm-hmm. industry. Um, and I think it's really exciting to think about minorities and women and people whose voices haven't been sort of um, making their way through animation. My son is obsessed with Spider-Verse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of the directors is is a uh, a very talented director, a black man who worked his way up through storyboarding and, and is telling this story. And, you know, and it comes with a different perspective. And, you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're about as white as you get in my household and my boy can't get enough of that movie. <laughs> so it, it, we yeah. love we're just we're excited about the types of stories and the storytellers that are telling those stories. And I think you've really hit on. The key of good animation is a, a great story. Absolutely, right? yeah, you've got to have a great story. Yeah. Um, and speaking of great stories, I wanted to review the the five films that have been nominated for best animated feature this year at the Academy Awards. We've got Incredibles two, Isle of Dogs, Mirai, Ralph breaks the Internet, and the one you already mentioned, Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Mm-hmm. I want to know. Which one do you think will win and which one should win? Uh, that's a good question. I have to admit I haven't seen Mariah yet. Uh, for me, I think Spider-Verse is going to win. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, that's the one I want to see win. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I'm not necessarily uh, – I have sort of mixed feelings about the Academy Awards. They're a bit of a marketing um, – Sure. Uh, tool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I don't know that it's ever a good qualifier as to what the best film is. Um, and I have to admit that I'm sort of a Brad Bird fan. So anything he does, like oh, The Incredibles yeah. 2, yeah. anything he does, I love. Uh, but Spider-Verse is just such an interesting take, not just in terms of its storytelling, which is pretty interesting and remarkable. But some of the um, technical things that they did on that film, it is such unique looking 3D film that doesn't have a feel like any other 3D film I've ever seen. Right. So you, I mean, all of these films are so different in the type of animation that they use to tell these stories. Yeah. Um, You mentioned an older Disney film. Growing up, you saw Bambi a number of times. Mm -hmm. Cole did not want to let you go without me asking the question, why is it that, and we've got a new iteration of this animated feature coming out in March, why is it the animator's 
revere the film Dumbo so much? Dumbo is a really interesting film because it was actually being made for television originally. Really? And it was sort of something that they were doing on the side, uh, on the cheap at Disney oh Studios. And I think what's, um, what's amazing about that film and I think Bambi and, and Pinocchio have this too. Is it shockingly emotional in yeah. areas that I don't think people were ready for? I don't think Snow White has that same sort of impact. Right. Um, but some of those early films at Disney, they get pretty dark and they also have <laughs> some pretty interesting light moments. Dumbo is a really interesting film because it's got some really interesting flavors of the time. There's some pretty heavy racism in that movie. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> And so I'm not exactly sure, other than I think most people have gone through some experience where they felt picked on and they didn't feel like they fit, and they were trying to figure out how to utilize what tools and talents they may have. And so I think it yeah. resonates for a lot of people in that way. Um, I don't know. I, I, th- I think that the, the trailer for the, the new film or what they're calling the live action film has just got people intrigued. So certainly because that's upcoming, that's, that's the buzz. But it, there, it is beloved in the animation community. Right. And Cole thinks I'm crazy, but I think I, – I, just like you said, I think the trailer for that movie is amazing and I mm-hmm. really want to see it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know your personal preferences of all the different mediums of animation out there. Which one do you prefer? I don't know that I have a preference as to the medium. I definitely have some favorite films. Sure. Um, and I definitely think that certain mediums have taken on certain types of stories, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about some of those different – so obviously a lot of people, when they think of animation, they think mostly of 2D or traditional animation. They think of computer animated or maybe even stop motion. Uh-huh. So – what are some suggestions of films that you would give us to if like if we're unfamiliar with certain mediums of animation, why don't you start here? This is a good place to start. Yeah, uh let me think. So traditional animation for me, I think the, the best traditional animated film of all time is Pinocchio. Wow. Um, I think it's pretty dark. It can be pretty scary for small children. Absolutely. Um, but I remember showing it to my own children and having a really interesting conversation with them about it. Uh, and it really has some remarkable – uh, stuff in it, but but there are some pretty dark moments. If you want something that's just light and playful and fun, I think 101 Dalmatians is oh, really yeah. remarkable as a, as a Disney feature. Um, and then certainly um, a lot of people love uh, for 3D, they love the Pixar uh, films. And, and like I said, I think Brad Bird really is amazing. So the Incredibles films and Ratatouille, yeah. um, I think are for me, they're the strongest of the Pixar films, obviously the Toy Story films. Um, but I also think that uh, DreamWorks, I think the Kung Fu Panda, the, especially the first film, was really, yeah. really quite strong, as was the How to Train Your Dragon films. And we've obviously got mm-hmm. the third one coming out soon. So um, those on the 3D side, for stop motion, um, stop motion is all over the place. So yeah. Kubo and the Two Strings is a remarkable film. I still haven't seen that one. It, it, it's it's pretty amazing. Um, and then really in terms of just like – Stop motion shorts, the Wallace and Gromit short films, the wrong trousers, mm-hmm. and um, those those films are remarkable. And then clearly, um, Nightmare Before Christmas is just an yeah. amazing, amazing film. 
Are there other types of animation that we're not as familiar with? Like, are there animators that are doing films in watercolor or, you know, using some other type of, of yeah, weird the, animation? There or are a different? lot. There are a lot. There, there, there are people who I haven't seen features done in this mm-hmm. way necessarily. But I've seen, you know, out of, especially out of Eastern Europe, when animation was sort of in decline in the 70s, Canada and Eastern Europe were really just continuing to plow ahead. And there's some really amazing stuff that's come out of there. Um, there's a Russian animator who animates with oil paint on glass. He made wow. a film called The Old Man and the Sea that's amazing. There was a film a few years ago called Loving Vincent that's about Vincent Van Gogh. Yeah. And that's animated oil paint. I've seen animated um, sand. Um I've seen stop motion, but using real people and having them, right. which is called pixelmation. I yeah. mean, there's a, there's a lot of different things in terms of it breaking through and sort of making it to the the feature realm. I haven't seen that as much, but there's a globally animation is something that's beloved, and so it's been there's a lot of different con you know, different types of content and in lots of different formats and media that have been used to to make it. Well, Kelly Loosely, we really appreciate your time here on Screen Cleaning. Kelly Loosely, as we mentioned, is the co-founder of the animation program here at Brigham Young University. And listener, hopefully now you have a better understanding and appreciation for animation. And it sounds like we have a a glowing review for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. If you are one of the few people that haven't seen that one yet, I just barely saw it myself. And uh, when we return, Cole and I are going to be sharing some of our favorites in the different mediums of animation. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning. Oh, I could listen to that music all day, and in fact, I own the soundtrack. So it should come as no surprise that that is my favorite computer animated movie. <gasps> what about Toy Story? What about Incredibles? Those are my favorite. What about every too, other but... Pixar movie? <laughs> right. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. We just finished speaking with Kelly Loosely, who's the co-founder of the animation program at Brigham Young University. And now Cole and I want to turn to discuss some of our different films from the different mediums of animation. And let's just start out with computer animated films. I just shared with you my favorite, Up. I, I think part of the reason it's my favorite is because it came out the same year that my wife and I got married and you fall in love with this couple, Carl and Ellie, within the first few minutes of the movie. And then all of a sudden, this person, this beautiful, lovely, amazing, outgoing person is gone within minutes. And you feel like you've and seen their entire life. live the rest of the movie and go right. on this adventure without the person that we also fell in love with as he was doing the same. It's just and the mu- as you can hear in the music, it's just such a whimsical film. You feel like you're floating on a cloud the whole way through, which is very fitting because Carl does spend a, a quite a bit of the movie floating on a cloud in his with house balloons. with balloons, right? Yay! So that would definitely every time I watch that, I end I end up thinking, okay, there's no question, this is my favorite. Whenever <laughs> I start doubting myself, I just watch it again. And it takes the top spot again. 
I'll uh, yeah, I'll end up talking about that kind of thing with my favorite 2D pick, but my favorite computer animated one is going to cross some lines. I wanted to find something more imaginative. And since the House of Mouse is the gold standard when it comes to animation, I started there, but a lot of his animated movies that have come from Disney are pretty much the same from an animation perspective. Sure. We're trying to push yeah. the boundaries here. And so I want to talk about one of my favorites that does different things animated wise. Okay. And that is Treasure Planet. Interesting. So Treasure Planet is half and half and another half, kind of 2D, <laughs> 3D uh, computer animated rendered as 2D, and then also a technology called Deep Canvas, which hmm. is also generated by computers. This was this was quite an expensive film to make, and that's why they were all the more displeased when it did not perform at the sure. box office, yeah. even though I went to see it a few times because I love it. But Treasure Planet, the whole ship that they are on for this whole... It's Treasure Island in space, if you haven't seen the movie. But the ship and a lot of the scenery around whenever they were in port, it was generated originally in computers, and then it became a fixture of the environment that they would then hand-draw the characters onto. So when you see Jim Hawkins windsurfing through in that opening scene seamlessly around stuff, that is CGI background with hand-drawn guy in front of it. Heck, they could even take characters in this movie and they would be half computer generated and half hand drawn long john silver is like the pirate in treasure island and he's got a hook hand and a peg leg and an eye patch and in treasure planet john silver has a robot leg and a robot arm and a robot eye and all of those things were done in computers and then overlaid into what they drew the rest of him to look like and it just all it looks so beautiful it's not your standard kind of stuff out of disney where before this it was all hand drawn and then sometime very shortly after this it went to all computer generated like tangled and wreck it ralph that we see nowadays this was kind of a cool bridge in between uh, and it i think works together so well Okay, interesting. Well, speaking of 2D animation, or it's also called traditional, I always go back to Cinderella. And I think, obviously, Cinderella, the Cinderella story has had such an enormous impact on pop culture and on just life in general. I mean, the very, we're talking about a Cinderella story. It's, it's very much, a part of of everything, right? I mean, everybody wants to have that Cinderella story where they're from rags to riches. And the reason I love this, first of all, is it's got one of the best... No, I take that back. It has the best Whoa. Disney villain that I've seen because she's not some mystical, magical creature. She is Cinderella's stepmother. She's family. She should know better, and yet she is the most evil, manipulative stepmother villain that, or just villain that I've seen in any Disney movie. And this is back, obviously, I don't want to say when animation was easier, but it was interesting. I thought uh, something that Kelly loosely mentioned when he was when we were speaking with him is that. You know, a Disney movie would only come out like at once every seven years or so. And it's not like today where you've got one, they pump them out like every six months, you know. But 
I I do feel like there's a simpler time represented in the film Cinderella, a time that I feel like we've really gotten away with and that we'll probably never see in animated films again. So what about animated films that take place in a simpler time? Interesting. I'm going to step away from Disney for a second to talk (laughs) about The Iron Giant setting Uh, in 1957. I'm surprised Kelly didn't bring this movie up. He mentioned Brad Bird plenty of times. That is true. This is Brad Bird's movie. And this is one of my favorite movies of all time that just so happens to be animated. Um, We're going to talk about the different kinds of animation and what you can do with animation, but I cannot let an animation discussion flow by me without telling you all that The Iron Giant is an amazing amazing movie. I watched it again last night and I cried again last night and it's still fantastic. Great voice cast too. Jennifer Aniston, Harry Connick Jr. And then I want to say Michael McDonald. He's usually the villain in everything that he's in. Chris McDonald. Chris McDonald. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was the the bad guy from Happy Gilmore. And like I said, pretty much anything you see him in. Oh, so you love voiceover. I forgot to mention that in Treasure Planet, which also has a pretty decent voiceover cast, uh, utilizing a younger Joseph Gordon-Levitt that I love. But the opening sprawl of that movie when the book Treasure planet kind of is being narrated yeah is by one of those classic sheer the guy that did sheer khan and a lot of those voices of disney really? back in the day he's giving you your opening introduction to treasure planet oh my goodness yep. i didn't know that wow so um getting back to uh the iron giant yes that is one of those non-disney movies that actually kind of had me on the verge of tears by the end Oh, it is. It's spectacular. And the whole story is about this young boy that all he wants in life, it it just does a great job movie wise to set up like he wants a pet in just the first couple minutes. He wants to be he wants to belong. He wants to have companionship. And then this monster from outer space comes down, except it's not what all those 50s movies were portraying War of the Worlds and alien invasions and the Red Scare to look like. It's this really nice guy that doesn't want to be a gun and he gets to choose what his fate is going to be even after he loses control of what his nature tells him he needs to do mm-hmm. he can be superman at the end and it's just so good so uh, another voice that we neglected to mention Vin, Vin, Vin Diesel, Diesel shows up for a which couple is, days in the voiceover booth it's <laughs> so interesting cuz this was back before Vin Diesel was Vin Diesel um and yet it's interesting that he won that part and especially when they kind of disguise his voice anyways with all of these different effects. And now, you know, he's he has a very similar part in the Guardians I of the Galaxy movies rude. where it's it's basically the same character. Yeah. Um, and, you know, speaking of similar themes, Wreck-It, or Wreck-It Ralph, the original uh, Wreck-It Ralph. Far better than the sequel. Yes, uh, it's better than the sequel. I I, I enjoyed uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet a little more than you did, but the ending to uh, Wreck-It Ralph is very similar to the ending of The Iron Giant. And uh, I suppose if Iron Giant had made a little more money, they could have made a sequel because... No, 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 no. We don't need a sequel. It's fine. <gasps> I'm it's, saying they could good, have. But we don't want one. I'm it's very fine. satisfied with I'm, the way it is. That's another reason why I'm glad it wasn't Disney, because Disney in the 90s and 2000s were just churning out a bunch of terrible direct-to-video sequels with also terrible animation, um, <laughs> and The Iron Giant gets to stay pure. So now we're going to talk about one that we're probably seeing more and more of these days, 
and which is saying a lot because these films take a very long time. Now, not to not to give the idea that no other medium of animation takes these a long ones time. Are tediously very, long, very tedious, and it's stop motion animation. So you're probably familiar with films like The Nightmare Before Christmas. There's one that's nominated for an Oscar this year by Wes Anderson called Isle of I Love Dogs. Dogs. But my favorite has got to be a kid's movie that's not really a kid's movie. And even as, a, as an adult, it's unsettling. And you're scared by the opening credits. Okay. This is a film that Cole had not seen until just a few months ago. And I think he's very happy that I made him watch this. It is Coraline. Absolutely. Now, there is a connection to The Nightmare Before Christmas because this was directed by Henry Selleck, who also directed The Nightmare Before Christmas. This is based on a Neil Gaiman story, and it is creepy. If you're not familiar with the plot, it's about this girl who moves into a new house with her family or with her parents that kind of neglect her. And she is left to her own uh, imagination and her own devices. And she stumbles across this little door that leads her to an alternate reality, one in which her parents give her all the attention she desires. They give her all the food that she wants. She has the, the coolest bedroom that you can imagine. There's just one thing that's a little off, and that just happens to be that her parents have these button eyes. And hmm. I don't mean like figuratively, I mean literally they, they have button buttons. eyes. And the catch is, if Coraline wants to stay in this alternate reality and continue to enjoy these parents that dote on her... She's going to have to replace her human eyes with button eyes as well. And Mm. that's the first time for her that the red flags go up. So forget about the story, which is marvelous, wonderful, and outright creepy. The animation to this film is so beautiful and breathtaking. It's one of those films that I probably wouldn't have minded seeing in 3D, although I did not. And unfortunately, it came out during a year that had very stiff competition. It came out in a year that was a great year for animation. I believe it came out the same year as Up. came out the same year as Fantastic Mr. Fox. Princess and Princess the Frog, and the I believe. Frog. Yeah. And it's such a great movie. Of course, it lost to Up, which I do is I would prefer over Coraline because my wife will never watch this again because she thought it was way too creepy. However, go see this film. It is the most some of the most beautiful animation that you'll see. It's it's worth it to see see it for that reason alone, but it has really quirky characters, a really que- a creepy plot, and it's just so satisfying on so many levels. When you talk about quirky characters, I think about some of my honorable mentions for stop motion. Wes Anderson, we mentioned, is up for the yeah, Academy yeah. Award for I Love Duck. Isle of Dogs. You love dogs, Cole? <laughs> I do. And But he had also made Fantastic Mr. Fox earlier on in his career, and I absolutely adore that movie. There's other stop motion. Our guest Kelly mentioned Kubo and the Two Strings, which is mm-hmm, absolutely mm-hmm. beautiful. Still even haven't seen it. I wasn't totally 
wrapped up in the plot. It was a little bit out there for me. It's on Netflix. I think you can just check it out tonight. I need to. It's really nice. But I'm going to come back to Henry Selleck because I want to talk about James and the Giant Peach. Did he direct that too? He did. My goodness. Well, produced by Tim Burton. Wow. So James and the Giant Peach is very interestingly half animated and half live action. It starts off being introduced to real life James and his two evil aunts that he has to go to after his real parents are tragically eaten by a rhinoceros. This is based on a book by Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl. So you know it's (laughs) going to be too scary for kids. It's a little weird. And so I watched actually scary movies when I was a kid, but this movie, I watched it for the first time this week since I was a small child. And it brought back a lot of memories of just kind of unsettling is probably yeah. the word. I yeah. I watched truly scary movies when I was way too small to watch scary movies. But James and the Giant Peach, I didn't like because it just seemed wrong. The stop hmm. motion, I've never been a big fan of stop motion. And that's, I'm kind of excited to talk about all these different kinds of animation because I've been very traditional in my opinions through the years. So I tried to broaden my horizons. Yeah. Go back and revisit this movie that I had seen when I was a kid but didn't love. And it turns out it is really, really cool. All the different ways that the bugs are interacting with the peach and the way that it's animated and the way the characters come together. They especially go on this adventure down into a pirate ship thing when they get lost up in the Arctic while they're flying a peach tethered by pigeons. It's a really weird movie. Yeah. They get to do a lot of fun animation things. And then when it comes, they finally arrive at their destination in New York and we see these stop motion six foot tall bugs interact with the real life villains, the ants that they were trying to get away from the whole time. This is a film I've only seen once, and I probably ought to revisit it. But yeah, I mean, just... I needed to. The description alone, you're like, the parents get eaten by a rhinoceros? It's unsettling. But it, And then all the way through, you kind of get the vibe that maybe this is all in James's head, because a lot of the bugs kind of represent things in his life. You know, it's... He didn't have any friends. It's another one of those kind of stories. And the spider that was in his window that he tried to save is now anthropomorphized and voiced by Susan Sarandon. Right. Um, And the, you know, when they're up in the sky, a big storm cloud comes in the shape of a rhinoceros that's coming for him. And he has a big dramatic moment saying, I'm not afraid anymore. And then it turns out to just be a thundercloud. So it kind of seems like he's going on this metaphorical journey. Right. And then it turns out to have been an actual journey on a giant peach to the city of New York. You know what, though? Of all of the fruits that you could be stuck in or trapped on, you could do a lot worse than a peach. Peach is like the best fruit. Oh, and everyone celebrates at the end of the movie by eating the giant peach. Until it's just it's a nice. pit, right? And they and live in the pit. he lives in the pit. Okay, but I'm seriously – hopefully, hopefully they were on that peach during the months of July and August because that's prime peach season mm. right there. Oh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about that. Okay, so we also wanted to have one other category in which we could talk about a film that is kind of in a miscellaneous category. We mentioned some of the the odder or uh, more unique forms of animation when Kelly was here. We talked about oil paintings, watercolors. But my pick is actually, I'm going to cheat in a way, but there there's an asterisk next to it. It's a computer animated film. CGI film. Okay. However, when they were in production with this film and when they were voicing it, they dressed the actors up in costumes that you would have seen in the movie. 
and they had them just get on the soundstage and act out the scene together, not just voice acting behind a mic. They were up and around and moving and interacting as almost as if you were watching a play. Okay. And this is the 2011 Academy Award winner for Best Animated Feature, and it stars Johnny Depp. Do you know where I'm going with this? I do. It is one of the many films directed by Gore Verbinski starring Johnny Depp called Rango. Yes. Rango, the plot isn't all that original. You know, you have this outsider who everybody thinks is somebody that he's not. And so he has to kind of take on this persona. I believe he kind of becomes the sheriff of the town. But not only is the animation really cool to look at, but the way in which they got those performances out of the actors is, uh, I think, a unique way to create an animated film. It's just not how you do it. Typically, in animation, you've got one actor behind a mic being directed because you're dealing with all of these really busy actors that can't be in the same room at the same time scheduling-wise. And the voice actors will sometimes see a screen where the rough animations are there or even the final product is there and they just have to match it and kind of match the energy that's going on. But when it's motion capture, they're doing all the work. This is a fun and this, but this is not even motion capture. They don't have those, you know, those spandex suits with all the little balls attached to them. They're just in costumes, and they've got people carrying around these mics, and they're <laughs> they're giving really organic performances because they're literally acting it all out. Cool. So that would be my pick for kind of a, a mis, in a miscellaneous category, Rango, and it's another one of those kids movies that's. Not really a kid's movie, but it did win Best Animated Feature at the Oscars. So, I mean, I uh, this one isn't motion capture, but when you put an animated creature in a live-action movie, it's still a live-action movie. Jar Jar Banks, Gollum, these are characters that are in a larger Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But sometimes you can put real people into animated movies, like they did in 1982 with Disney's Tron. Whoa. Which is mostly retroscoping animation, but also with a lot of computer uh, going into it as well. It's a very different kind of animation. So that's one I watched this week. I also want to give a shout out to anime. We didn't talk enough about Japanese or or other foreign animation styles, and there's a lot of different looks that those have. My dad actually loves – he lived in Japan for a month whenever he was in college, and he loves anime. So I had him do some research for me. He loves the Godzilla movies. Um, He loves all the Godzilla movies, but he loves the new trilogy that's on Netflix that's animated in kind of a weird foggy, smoothed-over anime that you don't always see. Hmm. I'm a personal fan of those 90s animes like Pokemon and Digimon that both had movies. Dragon long, Ball Super Broly just long came before out. Pokemon Go was out. Yes. And gone. <laughs> yeah. And so there's there's all of those kind of animations as well that I want to give a shout out before I come around and just end up talking about the greatest animated movie that happened this year that Kelly already talked about as well in our conversation. And that is the cool animation in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I knew it. I knew you'd bring it up. Because I am a huge, huge comic book fan and I'm living in the greatest age to have ever been a comic book fan where I get to see these heroes on the big screen. But instead of it just being an action movie starring characters that used to be in comic books, 
Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse truly embraces being a comic book movie. It's animated and it looks like you're going from panel to panel, seeing right. the thwip, thwip, thwip of yeah. the webs as he swings through New York. Um, we're introduced to a new Spider-Man and we're introduced to the concept of what it takes to be a Spider-Man. And I love the movie. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's one that you really ought to see. There's quite a bit of action. There was more action than I thought. I don't know what I was thinking. I was going into a superhero movie with multiple superheroes and multiple supervillains. But um, there are some pretty heavy deaths and scenes in the film. And the animation stylings, though, kind of soften those blows because it's done in such a stylized way. Again, comic books used to look different than they do now, and the characters on the screen just look like they're taken right out of the pages. They even use the dot animations, and the different Spider-Men from the different Spider-Verses are even animated in different ways. Spider-Ham looks more traditional, kind of Chuck Jones, Looney Tunes animation. Spider-Man Noir is like an old noir animation. Yeah. Um, and then there's the pixelized dot stuff that our normal Miles Morales and Peter Parker are. It uses the Spider-Man color scheme of red, blue, and black to just great effect. And it almost feels like you're watching it in 3D without glasses at times, even if it's just the normal not 3D movie sure. that you're watching. Mm-hmm. It is just, it is the most spectacular and different animated movie that I've ever seen. It's what sparked us wanting to have this conversation. It's so new and so amazing and so good. If you're not really into animated films and films, I mean, more of these animated films are being made for older audiences now. This is a great year to start watching some of these films. And when we return, not only are we going to give you our panning for good segment, but Cole and I are also going to share with you our favorite animated shorts from Pixar. This is Screen Cleaning. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning, everyone. Cole and I have had such a wonderful time speaking about different animated films and the different mediums of animation. We had Kelly Loosely from BYU here with us to talk about the industry and give us an expert's point of view. And I think we can all say that we walked away with a deeper appreciation for all that goes into creating this unique form of entertainment. And we talked a lot about movies, and then we had a discussion about our favorite animated feature-length films, which is its category at the Oscars. But there's another category at the Oscars called animated short. And that's what we want to talk about now, narrowing it down to specifically Pixar. Right. So this one is perfect for me because I mentioned Up was my favorite computer animated film, which is a Pixar film. And the animated short that accompanied Up is probably also my favorite animated short, also from Pixar. Yeah. And it also has a similar, it has a tie-in to the movie Up, because we talked about Up being very whimsical and, you know, you, you feel like you're floating on the clouds. Very fitting, because this Pixar short is called Partly Cloudy. And it is such a sweet, cute short And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Cole, there are very few of these that have any dialogue in them. Yeah, that's kind of the hallmark of a Pixar short is they try to do the most with the least amount of actual dialogue. Right. 
So as we all know, uh, babies are delivered via stork, yes. right? And that's not limited to human babies. Aww. So in this short, we get a picture of all of the cute and cuddly baby animals that are being delivered via stork. Kittens and puppies and little chicks running right, around. All throughout the world. And then there's this this other cloud. I should mention that the stork picks up these babies from a cloud. The, mm-hmm. um, he kind and, of molds them out of cloud right. dust. Very fitting. <laughs> um, however, there's this one cloud that doesn't have access to some of those more cute and cuddly baby animals. And as as enthusiastic as he is about his job, everything that he produces is something with very sharp teeth, something that's very spiky, something that's very heavy, the opposite of what you would consider cute and cuddly. And the poor stork's got to still do his job and go deliver it to Mama Alligator or Mama Porcupine. And bless him, that stork hangs in there with that poor cloud through thick and thin. Up until it looks like he's abandoned his little cloud friend and gone up to one of the other clouds. And when in actuality, he just went to go get a helmet so that he could be more protected yep. when he delivers these animals. It's really quite... A, a cute short about friendship, too, between mm-hmm. the cloud and the stork. Anyway, that's my favorite. I love it. My favorite Pixar short actually preceded my favorite Pixar movie as well. It was the very next year with Toy Story 3 with Day and Night. Oh, yes. And this is a great one. This is a really – so I like the story and I like the message maybe of Partly Cloudy a little bit more. But the actual animation of Day and Night is is spectacular because you have these two kind of rival characters that are just silhouettes of people. And one is demonstrating the background in the daytime and the other is demonstrating the background in the nighttime. And so the way they animate, it's entirely black other than the silhouettes of these characters where you can see what's happening just in the day or in the night. And so they kind of have a rivalry for a little while. One gets jealous of the other. They push each other off a cliff. And the only dialogue or noise in this is the natural sound that gets illuminated when they're walking in front of a Vegas casino and we can kind of hear background of the nightlife or when they're walking in front of a jukebox. Even when the one is punching the other, he's in front of a lumberjack chopping down a tree and then the tree (laughs) falls when the character falls. Just the way they combined the story with what they were drawing in this was amazing. And eventually they come together to realize, oh, you've got some, I've got some. And then eventually the sun starts to set on the day and rise at night, and they embrace right when Mm. the sun comes to the middle, and then it flip-flops, and the character this whole time that we thought represented night gets to enjoy the daytime, and the vice versa as well. Another example of, I believe it was the short for Moana. I know you're not crazy about this one, but and I can't even remember what it's called, but it's one where you're basically seeing the innards of this guy that is trying to just make everyday decisions and you see his brain being the very uh, methodical, very pragmatic part of the body. Well, his heart wants what the heart wants. Right. And so that's another one where there's a bit of a compromise and everything's so much better when you've got the brain and the heart working together. These silent shorts are really amazing. I love the musical ones as well. We came in here with Boundin, which is one of my favorites, Lava is a great song that went along with Inside Out. 
And then also One Man Band is a really interesting musical short. They're fun. If you can get them on DVD to just sit down and watch them all, it's, it makes for great viewing. Well, as you know, we like to end each one of our shows with our Panning for Good segment. There's good in them dire hills. So it's no secret we've been talking animation this entire show, and for our Panning for Good segment, I would be remiss in my duties as host of the show if I did not mention yet again a wonderful animated film that you can find on Netflix right now. For some reason, inexplicably, was was not released here theatrically, but that's okay. You can, you've got it at your fingertips. You can watch it as much as you want, and you probably should. And if you've got young kids, they're probably going to want to watch it again and again. I was surprised when my kids wanted to watch it again and again because it deals with some somewhat heavy topics, and it's called The Little Prince, another animated film that ha- makes use of different forms of animation. It is a beautiful film to look at, and it... It also deals with themes about not growing up or retaining part of our childhood and having that childlike sensibility about us. And it's also about friendship and making friends with people that are of an older generation and that there's a lot of wisdom and a lot of value in those types of friendships as well. And then you are also going to fall in love with the soundtrack I believe it's Hans Zimmer, and then they commissioned a French singer named Camille to write some songs that are absolutely beautiful, absolutely whimsical, an incredible voice cast, and you can't go wrong with The Little Prince. I hope you discover it on Netflix and fall in love with it, as I did. And that's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. We've enjoyed talking to you about all the different forms of animation that are out there. And you know what? Don't be intimidated by by all the other forms of animation that you might not be familiar with, check them out. Go out, broaden your horizons. It'll be a great experience. And then tune in February 24th to find out which of these great films will walk home with the Oscar for Best Animated Feature. And short. That's right. Until next week, this is Cole and Jeff with Screen Cleaning.